So Susie and I may perhaps like a certain class of movies that, that uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to share because some of you may think that we're a little strange. We really enjoy end-of-the-world disaster movies. Anyone with it doesn't matter how campy they are. In fact, the campier the better, right? We we, I mean, we love these. I was just thinking through. Some, I went through my voodoo list and was looking at some of the movies that we own. And and you have the day the earth stood still and and Dante's Peak, where an, a volcano is tearing apart a village. I don't know what this says about us. <laughs> Deep Impact, where a meteor destroys the earth. Um, Armageddon, where a meteor destroys the earth. The day after tomorrow where weather systems somehow to destroy the earth. Um, there's a theme there. 2012, San Andreas we watched recently. These are awesome movies, right? And do I even need to say Sharknado? <laughs> Tornadoes and shocks. Sharks? Shocks. <laughs> Sound like I'm a Boston man. <laughs> Tornadoes. Tornadoes and sharks put together in the most realistic way possible. And they, they all, I, I, don't, I don't know why we're drawn to them, but the end of the world is a really fascinating subject. It draws us in. And in all these movies, the plot is basically the same. Some random person with no scientific background and no access to any of the science or the computers, somehow breaks in and through their brand new idea that they could not have had because they have no scientific background, they save the world. Very realistic. Sharknado may be more realistic than those. But we're fascinated with the subject of what happens at the end. How will life end? How will this world end? Uh, If... If we weren't fascinated as a culture about this, there wouldn't be these movies. And they wouldn't still be making money. And next year there wouldn't be Sharknado 250 or whatever number we're on. Because there are a ton of them if you look it up. But we're fascinated with this because we don't know. Because we know something's going to happen, but we don't know what it is. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. And that can generate all kinds of responses in us, right? We can live in fear what will happen, what might happen, what disaster might happen. And, and, and we see that with, with all the preppers that are out there and the earthquake preppers and the hurricane and tornado and, and whatever it may be. And I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong to be prepared, but we can live in that kind of fear of what will happen and how will things fall apart. We can also just take a, an oblivious ass, uh, view of it and say, ah, It'll end sometimes. I don't care. I'm just going to live like I want to now. But Jesus knows us. And he knows that we have this interest in the future. He knows that that we want to know what's going to happen. He knows that we have a propensity to fear. And we struggle with that. And so Jesus is going to take some time with his disciples to, to give them some assurances about the future. And that's where we're at today. And this actually isn't the first time he's dealt with it. It's the third or fourth time in Luke that he's dealt with it. It's one of the things he keeps bringing up because he knows that we need to be prepared and we need to know how to look forward. Turn with me to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, 25 through 38. Luke 21, 25 through 38. 
And as we're about to jump into Jesus' instructions about the end of time, about his return and what's going to happen, I want to start with the question, what do you worry about? What consumes your thoughts? What are, and, and I'm not talking about a, where am I going to eat, eat for lunch. What do you really worry about? What are some of the bigger things? Just put that in your mind. Hold that for a minute. Because I think Jesus has a word for us in this passage about our worries, about what we, how we get consumed with daily life. That worry doesn't have to be the end of, of the world. We're going to see that Jesus goes into all of the worries of life and what those can do to us. So keep that in mind as we study our passage today. Just some of where we've been last week as we, we looked at the first half of this chapter, they're all walking out of the temple and off the temple mount. And the disciples said, oh, what a great temple we have. This is amazing, going to last forever. And Jesus said, actually not. It's going to be destroyed and, and not one stone is going to be on another. And he gives them some signs for that and the earthquakes and the wars and the pestilence and the famine. And all those signs, we, I, I would, as I said last week, I would interpret as leading up to AD 70 and those things that, that um, led up to the fall of Jerusalem and the, the destruction of the temple. But as we know with prophecy, and I, I mentioned I put this picture up last week, a picture of the mountains. As we know with prophecy, we're both seeing a near prophecy and a far prophecy at the same time. And it's hard to tell the difference between the two. And, and actually what Jesus is doing is he's saying the events of the temple and the events of the end are similar. The temple gives us a foretaste, a smaller version of what's going to happen at the end of time. And so he's using one incident to illustrate the next. And, and last week we talked about the destruction of the temple. What do we know in trouble? Um, how do we live godly in troubled times? How do we think about that? Now we're going to look forward to the end of time and say, how do we think about that? How do we live godly lives in light of the end of time and what's going to happen? Last week's title was Trouble is Coming. This week's title is Trouble is Here, Jesus is Coming. And this is the, the sequence that Jesus is teaching through as he teaches and prepares his disciples for what's coming. They asked two questions after Jesus said this would all be destroyed. In Luke, it's recorded that they ask, when will these things be? When, when's this going to happen? And Jesus deals with that first. In Matthew, we know that they added on a second question. And what will the signs of the end be? What will be the signs of your coming? That's the question he's going to deal with in the text this morning. And so he's, he is coming to how to think about the end of time. So we look at verse 25. And we'll take 25 through 28 as a section. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distressed of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So in his first section, Jesus says in point number one in your notes, don't be distressed and frightened as the world falls apart. Be joyfully confident that Jesus is coming sooner. Now, it's a lot, a lot of words there. Don't be distressed and frightened as the world falls apart. It's going to happen. These things are going to happen because evil is running its course on the face of this planet. 
Don't be distressed and frightened as the world falls apart. Be joyfully confident that Jesus is coming sooner. See, he knows, Jesus knows that as we look at the, the evil in this world, we can get discouraged, we can get depressed, we can, we can just feel oppressed by it all. And that's one way to respond. But he's saying, respond a different way. Just, just don't, even, don't even go there. Instead, as you things, see things getting worse, in your mind be saying, this means Jesus is coming sooner. This means Jesus is coming sooner. And it's a different mindset of how you view some of the same circumstances. There's going to be two responses, he says, at, at Christ, as Christ's coming draws near. It's either a distressing fear or a joyful confidence. Let's take verse 25. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of sea and waves. Now, in, in some other passages, in, in Mark and Matthew, we get a little more description of some of these signs. Luke's focus isn't the signs. And so if you came this morning hoping for top ten signs that Jesus is coming soon so you can narrow down the time, that's not what we're about. And that's not what Luke is doing. Luke just runs by these quickly in this verse and the next because he's getting to our response to the signs, our response to the trouble that is here. And so he describes in general terms these cataclysmic events, like the movies I mentioned. Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And, and, and these would be, they could be comets, they could be eclipses, they could be explosions, they could be just about anything. But they're cataclysmic and they're huge. Because we see what they lead to in that verse. And on earth, distress of nations, in perplexity or in confusion. And so there's all kinds of of interpretations of this. Some take this to be only figurative, that this represents that there's going to be rulers and rulers are taking over and catastrophes. I really see no reason not to take it at his word and take it literally that there's going to be cataclysmic events with the sun, moon, and stars at the end of 25, roaring of the sea and waves, maybe tsunamis, but these huge events that as, as creation and our world tears itself apart. It is groaning, we know from Romans 8, under the weight of sin and what the fall has done to all of creation, not just our lives. And so we see these events that that represent creation out of control, that represent things that we would normally fear. And the responses, like I said, in 25, there's distress in the nations. Governments don't know what to do with it. The thing about natural disasters is there's not a lot of cures. You know, in, in the last month, we didn't have a way to stop Hurricane Florence or Hurricane Michael. Is that the name of the, the one that just hit Florida? We, didn't, we, we couldn't fly an airplane, even though they do it in the movies. Fly an airplane that you somehow stole from some airfield and seed it with something that stops it. We don't know how to do that. Because creation is groaning under the weight of sin, and that's not going to stop until the return of our Lord and Savior. But it is going to stop when he returns. And it is going to be fixed, just not by us. It's going to be fixed by the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so picture these nations, and we already get get an idea of this. As these cataclysmic events are, are happening, there's distress. I don't know what to do. And then perplexity, it's confusion. What is going on? Oh, it's global cooling. Oh, it's global warming. Now it's just climate change. But something is happening. Yes, sin is tearing our world apart. 
We go on in, in verse 26 to see some of the results. People are fainting with fear. They're passing out. They're, they're, they're collapsing from fear. And that word there is terror, hyperventilating, panicking. And, and so as you can imagine, as, as this world and, and still picture the earthquakes and the nations at war with each other and now all of these cataclysmic events, the fear is stifling. The fear is collapsing. And then Jesus goes on to say, and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. So there's fear as you look around at the present circumstances, but then there's this dread of what is coming. And, and, and Jesus is describing a people that are consumed by this, this intense fear, this intense dread. Why? Because they have no hope. And without Christ, there is no hope. There is no answer. And we try for all kinds of different answers. But there is no hope without Christ. People fainting with fear and with foreboding at what is coming on the world. Woe is us. The sky is falling. And it is. This is the encouraging part of the message. There's a huge chaos there. The last phrase of 26, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. The cataclysmic events will extend into the universe and what we see and, and, and everything happening around us. And that is a visible representation of what is happening in the spiritual realm, the warfare that is happening there. And so I, I don't want to soft pedal this and say, oh, life on earth is going to be grand the closer we get to the end. No, it is a spiritual war where Satan is like an animal cr- cornered and he's going to lash out and he's going to lash out every way he can at God and his followers. But all is not lost. Verse 27. That's not where Jesus ends. That's the prep. Verse 27. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And that's where the story changes. This is where we begin to see the hope. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't focus on all those things. The Son of Man's coming sooner is what that means. As these things increase, then the Son of Man will come. And this is referring to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And, and some imagery there of, of the Messiah, of the one that would come. In that prophecy, it says, I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there come one like a son of man. And there's that word again. He came to the ancient of days, which we know is God the Father. We see the Trinity here. And was presented, or two, two elements of the Trinity, two people of the Trinity. And was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, the Messiah, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And they would be familiar with this. They knew their prophecy. And so as, as the Jews heard this and, and heard as the disciples heard Jesus say this, their minds would have gone to Daniel 7 and would have said, He's, he's saying He's the Messiah. And then He's going to come back and He's going to set up His kingdom. And this picture of of Jesus going to the Father, receiving the kingdom, and now He's coming back to set up His kingdom here. This is the answer to the trouble that is here. This is the answer to even the troubles that we see today. We endure for a little while. 
for a short time as evil runs its course and then Jesus comes and deals with it in his justice and in his righteousness and he brings his kingdom. This is good news. Even though the first two verses don't sound like it. This is good news. Jesus is coming back. And so then Jesus in the next verse, in verse 28, gives the response. And he's talking to his disciples. And he says, now when these things begin to take place, cower your head and be in fear and shrink away and do nothing. That's not what he says. No, because if we believe Jesus is coming back, if we believe he's bringing his kingdom, we don't have to cower in fear as opposed to the people in verse 26. He says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Amen? It's okay to say amen every now and then, especially with God's word when Jesus makes such a great point. He's like, don't cower. You're going to see these things. Straighten up, raise your heads. And that's a sign of joyful, re- uh, joyful expectancy, of rejoicing. It's the opposite of fear. And he's saying, Jesus is coming. Have hope and confidence. Rejoice in him. Don't be downcast. All is not lost. And keep in mind, he's saying this with events that are far worse than any events we are going through now today. Far worse. And, and yes, I believe, the, I believe we live in the end times. I believe Jesus can come back at any time. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But things are still going to get worse. And so as I look at the troubles today, if I'm expected, and this is an argument from the larger to the lesser, if I'm expected to, in the future, when there are far greater troubles, be able to rejoice in the Lord and have confidence and trust Him, how much more with my smaller troubles can I rejoice in the Lord and have confidence and trust Him? Do you see the the, the argument here? This is why this brings hope to us today and a challenge to us today. Lift up your heads rejoice. The troubles we go through are just steps toward the coming of the Messiah. But he is coming. Our redemption is drawing near. And this isn't talking redemption as salvation. We're already saved. But in this case, the redemption of creation, the redemption of this world from sin. In Romans chapter 8, we see just a fantastic passage about the effects of sin and the fall on creation And in verse 19, we read, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Sin has had its effect. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. And what Paul is describing in Romans 8 is there's going to come a time where Jesus is going to redeem all of creation back to himself. And you've heard me say that that's the story of the Bible. That God is redeeming all of creation back to himself because we know at the end, that's how it ends. And God redeems things back to himself and sets things right. 
Now, out of this, we said, don't be distressed and frightened as the world falls apart. Be joyfully confident that Jesus is coming sooner. And I intentionally use the word sooner rather than soon because we don't know when he'll come back, but we know each of these means it's sooner. The troubles we go through means it's sooner. And so we should long for Christ's return. With creation in Romans 8, we should eagerly await and eagerly long for Christ to return. It should be part of our rhythm. You know, this morning we sang several worship songs, and I don't know if you caught some of the, the sequences of the worship songs, but a number of them sort of go through parts of our Christian walk, and we have the work of Christ, and we have salvation, but then several of them ended with when he'll return. And it's just part of the rhythm of how we think about walking with God is he saved us, he's, he's sanctifying us and making us Christ-like, and he's going to bring us into eternity with him. That needs to be part of the sequence for us, just part of the rhythm of how we think about Christianity. That's where hope comes from. Long for Christ's return. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, it's okay to say, I hope he comes back today. I hope he comes back today. I can't wait to see him redeem creation to himself, to see the new heavens and the new earth, to see evil taken care of, and to live with Christ forever. That is a hope worth thinking about. Jesus goes on, verses 29 through 33, and our second point as we think about the end, we need to understand signs as signs. There is no doubt that Jesus is coming back. And this is actually a similar point. He's just expanding the first point, but Jesus wants them to know there is no question I'm coming back. Don't doubt it. As things happen, see them as signs, not troubles, but I am coming back Don't worry and don't doubt. Verse 29, it says, And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and, and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. I have a picture of a fig tree that is just starting to, to blossom and bloom. There we go. And, and so this is the, the, this is spring. And what happens is these leaves and buds and some of the fruits start to come out and, and it goes from this bare tree to one that has some, some green sprouts and things. And everyone knows when that happens, oh, summer's coming. The, the seasons are changing. This, Jesus is using an obvious example here. No one looks at the new growth and say, oh, I bet it's going to snow tomorrow. No, no, this is obvious to them. Of course, the weather is changing and summer is coming. And so he's trying to show by the obvious how obvious it should be and how we should think about trouble. That as we see these signs, we know Jesus is coming soon. We know he's, he's coming and we can be confident of that. And so he says, see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, and that's the wording where he changes to, to illustrate um, his principle here. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Oh, if only we could be that sure of anything we promise. But Jesus says, this will happen. My words will not pass away. And this section is really just making that singular point. See the signs, understand them as signs, and have no doubt that Jesus is coming back. 
Now, this passage does have one of the, the most difficult verses to interpret in Luke, and that's verse 32. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. And there, are, there has been so much written. What does that mean? What does it mean this generation will not take place until all these things have happened? Or, or will not pass away, sorry, until all has taken place. And, and to understand this, we have to figure out what does this generation mean? What does, it, what does pass away mean? Now, some of those may seem obvious. Until all has taken place. What does all refer to there? And the, I, I wrote down six different options that I read. There were more. <laughs> because this is one of those times we can't be sure what Jesus meant here. We know that he said this, but what does it mean? So and I just want to run through a couple of them and give a couple ideas. One of the first things is that the word for generation there can mean two different things. It can mean a period of time or, or a, a generation in terms of time. So that would be until you die, until your generation passes away. And that's the time aspect of this word. The other aspect of generation is it's sometimes used and, and, and a number of times used to represent a people group or a, a type of people. This generation, the Jews won't pass away or the Christians won't pass away or my people And both of those are valid understandings of the Greek word here. And this is where it's really hard for us sometimes to go from Greek to English. Praise God, this this doesn't impact salvation or anything like that. And and so a number of things have been suggested. For all these things to pass away, some have said that's referring to the first half of the, the chapter. And it's referring to all the things leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, others have said, no, 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 no. These things obviously didn't happen before the destruction of Jerusalem. The son of man hasn't come back. These are obviously dealing with the end times. So these things are dealing with only the events of the end times. And now you're all really confused and you all know what it means. Just kidding. So here's some of the options. Some view this as just referring to the fall of the temple. I mentioned that. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, that you, your generation won't pass away until the temple in Jerusalem fall. Um, some have said that Jesus thought it would be soon and was mistaken. No, that's not an option. <laughs> Don't go there. Um, remember in Mark 13, Jesus said, only the father knows the day and the time. I don't even know the day and the time. Which means we, we have to understand this uh, in light of Jesus' own words. Some say that the generation refers to Christ's followers, that the church won't pass away until these things take place. Some say that this represented the Jewish nation. And and the reason why I gave you sort of the the definitions of the words, you can see where they're getting all of these different options. There's two that I think are are the most probable. I I don't think it's just talking about the Jewish nation for a number of reasons I, I can't get into this morning. I don't think it's just talking about Christ's followers. And one possibility is it's talking about mankind, this generation of people or or the whole of mankind won't pass away until these things take place. And that gives an assurance that Jesus will come back before humanity is wiped off the face of the planet. That's comforting. We know even from the Qumran scrolls that generation is sometimes used that way. And then the other option, and, and this is the one I would lean to a little bit more. I know I, I got you all worked up about that one. But um, it, it really looks like we could take this, that the generation that is alive when these signs are fulfilled will not 
pass away until Jesus returns. And so whatever generation is alive, when these cataclysmic events happen and the earthquakes and the wars, and we're at the, when they're at the scale that shows that Jesus is coming soon, that that generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. And, and I think that's the most likely. I wouldn't die for that because <laughs> we don't know. But I think that ties back to verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, there's a section there of writing that he's talking about these specific things and their beginning. Then he says, raise your heads because redemption is drawing near. And I think this sort of um, finishes that section or brings that section to an end where Jesus is saying, the big picture is Jesus is giving assurance, right? This will happen. And so I think part of that is saying when these signs happen, you can bet it's going to be soon and that generation won't die off until it happens. I'm not going to leave you stranded. I'm not going to forget about you. See, the point, we we could argue all day about what generation means there. The point is an absolute assurance that Jesus is coming back. That's the point Jesus is making. That's the point I want to dwell on this morning. It will happen. He will come back. We are not abandoned in this broken Genesis 3 world. We know that Jesus is coming. And so point number two is understand signs as signs. There is no doubt that Jesus is coming back. There is simply no doubt. Then finally, we get to the last section. Point number three, be ready and waiting for Christ's return. You've heard me say this before. Luke has repeated this over. And and if the Holy Spirit through Luke is repeating it, then we'll look at it again because that means we need to hear it again. And we need to be reminded. Be ready and waiting for Christ's return. And there's two aspects, one in 34 and 35 and then another in 36, two warnings that are given here that tell us how to wait. The first in 34 and 35, don't let your heart be pressed in with the junk of this world. Don't let your heart be pressed in with the junk of this world. Basically, no spiritual heart failure, as you look at the end, if you think in medical terms. But watch yourselves, in verse 34, watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And so Jesus' first warning here, when he talks about how to wait and how to look, he says, watch yourselves, be careful. Take consideration of your lives, lest your heart be weighed down. And then he's going to talk about the things that it's weighed down with. And and the idea behind weighed down is to be pressed in on, to, to be heavy, to be discouraged, to be weary, to be overwhelmed. Ever felt any of those things? We're never overwhelmed or weary or discouraged. Oh, yes, we struggle with this. And Jesus is saying, watch yourselves. In in the context of Jesus' coming, he says, don't let your heart feel that heavy. Don't be that pressed in with what is happening around you, with the troubles of this world, for us, the troubles of our lives. Don't be weighed down by it. Don't do it. And he he goes in the first one, he says, with dissipation. And we we don't use that word a lot. You know, I wasn't talking to, to the pastors this week and say, you know, I'm worried about dissipation in our church. Um, but dissipation is this idea of the after effects of partying too much. If, if I had to, to put it in English, um, it, it was tied with drunkenness, 
but it was the hangover after partying or a bout of heavy drinking. And, and so he's saying it's this idea that we're so consumed by enjoyment and pleasures of this world or maybe drinking to get past the problems of this world that the effects are this dissipation or this, this hangover. He says, that'll weigh your heart down. That'll press it on your heart because that's no solution. It's avoiding the problem. And the next one's tied with it, drunkenness. We, so many times we self-medicate and use alcohol. And quite frankly, we use other forms of entertainment or enjoyment or outlets to self-medicate and to try to get past the problems of this world. And Jesus is saying, yeah, this world stinks, but I'm coming. I'm coming soon. Cling to that hope because I'm going to make it right. And I'm going to bring you into an eternity with me that is so much better than anything you can imagine here. And so he starts with dissipation. He starts with drunkenness. And then he gets to one that's just annoyingly close to home and the cares of this life. And this is included with these things like hangovers and drunkenness but we can be so pressed in by the cares of this life. It's an insidious trap, isn't it? Some of you already, including probably me, have a schedule this week that doesn't leave much room to think about God. That doesn't leave much room to breathe, it feels like sometimes. And the cares of this life press in. So you you could think schedule here, you could think activity, you can think the problems of this life. And, and these things, they, it's not that they're bad, they're good things. You know, kids do need to eat, that's good. And they should go to school, that's, that's usually good. And, and so these things are good, but they can press in when they become the most important thing, when they become the focus of our life. The cares of this life make a lousy purpose for this life. Yes, we, we do our responsibilities, we have to do those things. But when those become the most important thing, that's a problem. And the the cares of life can come in and can tear at us and to keep us from seeing the hope in Christ and keep us from following God. Do you remember the parable of the soils that we talked about in Luke and in Mark? One of the soils was, was the cares of this life came and the thorns choked out the gospel. Are we leaving enough room in our lives for the gospel? to think about the gospel, to pray, to spend some enjoyable time with God? Or are we so distracted by this life that we fall into worry? See, worry tends to come when we've elevated the cares of this life above our master. That's that's a good definition of worry. So he said, don't let your heart be weighed down. I'm coming. The cares of this life aren't the most important thing. I love what D.L. Moody said when he talked about the second coming of Christ. He said, The moment a man realizes that Jesus Christ is coming back again to receive his followers to himself, this world loses its hold upon him. Gas stocks and water stocks and stocks and bank and railroads are of very much less consequence to him then. His heart is free and he looks for the blessed appearing of his Lord who at his coming will take him into his blessed kingdom. That's an eye on the future rather than the eye on the cares of this world. 
Jesus says, the reason why it's not let your heart be weighed down is so that day doesn't come upon you suddenly like a trap. So you're not surprised. And those that aren't looking for it, that aren't preparing for it, it's going to come like a surprise. It's going to come like a trap to those that don't know Christ, to the whole earth. Because at that moment, we have to give an answer for the decisions we've made here. We'll have to give an answer to whether I chose to follow Christ here or not. And we'll then be in the consequence stage of that decision. If I follow Christ, I go into glory with Him and there's nothing to fear. If I've chosen not to, then I am judged for my sins because I can't pay for them. I, I put in your notes the idea of imminence and I don't have time to get into this real, real deeply today. But there again, again, the wording here is that suddenly this is going to happen. And throughout Scripture, we see that God's return, that Jesus' return is imminent. It could happen at any time. And so when I speak of imminence, I say it's an event that could, but does not have to occur at any moment. And, and that's important to see both sides of that. It could happen at any moment. Christ could come back during our let's do lunch today. Wouldn't that be cool? We'd all go, back together, go up together to meet him in the air. But Christ could come back a thousand years from now. And, but imminence, uh, imminence holds to both and says it could be right now. Because all of the prophecies that lead up to this have been fulfilled. It could be tomorrow or in 2,000 years. And, and so we need to live like he is coming back. I, I have a whole list of verses we're not going to have time to read that talk about him coming back soon and expect it now and at any time. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so no one will take your crown. And, and so many more verses. But we need to live in imminence that he could come back at any time. And that, that will help us get rid of what is pressing in on our souls. And when we think of, of our hearts being pressed in by the cares of this life, I think a couple questions help us with that. One is, how eternal is this thing I'm worried about? How eternal is this thing I'm worried about? And so we begin to assess what is eternal in our lives. What I do, what I have. I mean, I can be worked up about not getting X, whatever it is, fill in the blank, or that something else is breaking. And one of the questions that helps me process that is, is this eternal? Is this eternal? And then we begin to focus and orient ourselves around what is eternal, the souls of the lost around us. And if we believe Jesus' his, his return is imminent, the, the souls of the lost around me are much more important to deal with and much more important to, to reach and, and share the good news with. And so his imminence gives us a renewed motivation to tell people about Christ. Don't let the challenges of this life weigh you down. Look to Christ. That's the first warning when he says how to be prepared. The second is in verse 36. Be alert to overcome trouble through prayer. Be alert to overcome trouble through prayer. The first was no spiritual heart disease. This one is no spiritual narcolepsy where we just fall asleep at any given time. He says, stay awake, be prepared. And in verse 36 there, he says, but he says that, but stay awake at all times. And there's a continuing aspect to the wording there. Be alert. This doesn't mean you can't go to sleep tonight. It's talking about spiritually alert, that we are prepared. And then he says how to do it. And I love that he doesn't just say, be prepared, guess how to do it. He says, praying that you may have the strength 
to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He says, how are we prepared? How do we live a life expecting the Lord to come back at any time? Prayer is an essential part of it. He says, praying at all times that you may have the strength to escape, to go through it, to overcome it, to get through what is happening, and eventually to stand before the Son of Man, before the throne of God, and be justified. And to see that. We are justified now, but to see the end results of that, the glorification that happens. How do we do it? Prayer. How seriously do we take that as a way to stay spiritually awake? To be praying for the lost, to be praying for the circumstances around us, specifically here, to pray for strength to get through what we're going through. Because like we talked about last week, every trial is an opportunity. And prayer is the foundation for that. Sometimes I think we give lip service to prayer literally and figuratively. And we forget that it is such a powerful communion with God that we may not understand how it works. And we may not understand why it works, but we know God has commanded it. We know he listens and he answers. And he says it's a key for overcoming what we're going through and what we're going to go through. We're to stay awake spiritually. If I had to summarize this, this whole section... It's take notice of the signs. Know Jesus is coming back. So repent and believe in Jesus and be ready for his return. Be ready for his return. I love a story that that was told in a book called Prairie Overcomer. So those of you that like prairie stories, this is for you. Mama, said a little child, my Sunday school teacher tells me that this world is only a place in which God uh, God lets us live a while that we may prepare for a better world. But mother, I I don't see anybody preparing. I see you preparing to go into the country, and Aunt Eliza is preparing to come here, but I don't see anyone preparing to go there. Why don't they try to get ready? It's a good question. What are you doing to prepare? Prepare for Christ's return. It's prayer and not letting our hearts get pressed in by the cares of this world. Those are the two things Jesus mentions in this text. May we be looking confidently for his return. But um, let me close in a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for the promise that you're coming back. For a confident hope that we have, that we know this is going to happen. We know that even though trouble is here, you're coming. And so, Lord, we don't have to fear. We don't have to cower. We can lift up our heads. We can rejoice We can be in prayer knowing that you give the strength to overcome. Lord, and and we can give the pressures of this life to you without seeking all kinds of other ways to deal with them, but to trust you and your help. Lord, help us to hope in you and really figure out what that means. Thank you for your word, your words of encouragement. In your name, amen.